Blog Talk Radio. Good morning and welcome to the Inclusive Class Podcast. Through interviews and discussions, it's our goal to explore the promise and practice of inclusive education. I'm Nicole Eredix and I'm one of your hosts for the show. I'm a parent, inclusion teacher, and creator of the online resource, theinclusiveclass.com. And here with me this morning on the Inclusive Class is my co-host, Terry Morrow. Good morning, Terry. Good morning, Nicole, and welcome to all our listeners. I am Terry Morrow. I am the author of 50 Ways to Support Your Child's Special Education, and I write about special needs for about.com at specialchildren.about.com. I'd like to mention to anybody out there listening to us live that we're not taking phone calls, but the chat room will be open. If you'd like to stop it and suggest a question, I'll try to work it in if we have time. Uh, just having the, the, the slide up to Thanksgiving here this week. It's mm-hmm. unbelievable that this is not Thanksgiving. It should be this week. It's so disorienting. <laughs> it is so late. And yes, uh, is, my family, anyway, is scrambling, trying to figure out what we're going to do. We have some illness in the family, and we have some mileage distance in the family, and we have some activities mm-hmm. that we're trying to juggle around the big day. So it's we're still very unsettled about it and have no idea what's going to go on, which is not normal. But, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, there looks like a possibility that we will just have a quiet Thanksgiving dinner at home, which honestly would be kind of wonderful. That sounds good. There's there's a lot to be said for that. (laughs) I'm I'm getting all my Thanksgiving material on my website out there, and it's all about how to deal with the extended family members who say those things and do those things and serve those things that you cannot believe and leave your jaw on the floor and you in tears in the back room. So, um, there's always something whenever we get together with extended family. Our extended family is pretty pretty nice, but there's always something. Somebody says something or does something Mm -hmm. that gets me in a tizzy. So. Um, mm-hmm. Maybe you should I don't stay know. home this year. <laughs> <laughs> it's very, very tempting because the alternative involves a three-and-a-half-hour drive. So yeah, it's stressful no. in its own way. Um, yeah. But uh, And then, of course, Christmas comes so very quickly after that. So. Yeah, I don't even want to think about it. Uh, <laughs> it's a stressful time of year. We're entering that stressful time of year, and it's happening in a weird way because Thanksgiving is so late, and so it's going to be so close. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other yeah. holidays and so the shopping is going to be weird and the, you know as you and I were talking about before the call the shop I for me shopping starts after Thanksgiving not before yeah so there will be all of that nonsense and yeah. uh, we're just going to basically hold our breaths until January good well you yeah. know what else can you do right <laughs> there's so much going that's on right. and that's right and then plans are made, and then plans change, yes. and and all that yes. flexibility that's required, and all the yeah. the ups and downs. Those are hard things. They are. They are. And I think families with challenged children. <laughs> yeah, we also have the yeah. end of, a, of a college semester in there, so you know, paper research papers and finals and things between now and the mid December. Yeah. So it's going to be a trying month. Lots of changes and challenges, and often that really affects. Yes. Our kids, as you were just mentioning, because it does, uh, it does. I, I always I noticed that my son's behavior was the worst. It, it would start a slide sometime in November, and mm-hmm. you know everything would be going good for the first couple of months of school, and then I'd start getting more and more reports. And I figured it usually had to do with 
they're going and sitting in the gym for two hours practicing the holiday program. Oh, the holiday program. Yeah. <laughs> They're, yeah. you know, they're having this and that special event and they're having a mm-hmm. party and they're doing it. All the routine, just like for three or four weeks of school, goes out the window. And, yeah, no, don't do that. Stop well, it, it seems like this is a great time of year then for our topic today because Absolutely. there's so much, so much that happens in particularly this time of year in the classroom and around the school and all the different bits and pieces that sometimes we adults forget to think about or plan for or uh, consider when we're working with children who have behavior challenges or needs, disorders, emotional challenges. There's so much that can, you know, potentially be a trigger that we don't often Mm -hmm. realize. And I think this is a great topic today because we are talking about including students with behavior disorders and emotional challenges in the classroom. So, yeah, good. I'm glad you brought that up because that's really definitely something we need to be thinking more about often at this yeah. time of the year teachers are just waiting for the <laughs> waiting yeah. for the clock to hit three o'clock and then you know on that last day of school before christmas it's like that yeah end goal is in sight and we don't um and it, stop it's to hard for parents think. to know what's going on you know if they're mm-hmm. not in the school to yeah, realize yeah. why everything is falling apart but, exactly uh, well yeah. i think then this is a good time to introduce our guest today because she has many years of experience and has authored several books around the topic and has a lot to say. So uh, we'll get started. And I'm pleased to introduce Brenda Sherman to the show. Um, She is here with us today to talk about including students who have those behavior challenges and emotional needs. Good morning, Brenda, and welcome to the show. Good morning. Thank you. Before we get started with our questions, do you mind giving the audience a brief background about yourself and what you're currently doing? Well, uh, sure, I'd be happy to. I started my career as a special education teacher. I worked with children with um, developmental disabilities. At that time, um, I, we were just starting to see children with autism come into our schools, and mm-hmm. so I became the first trained teacher in um, the district in where I was in Illinois to have specialized training to work with children with autism. I was very, very fortunate. Right. And um, that then sort of defined my career. I got really interested in these kids who had such interesting and challenging behaviors and educational needs. And So that led me into my graduate programs in behavioral disorders and autism. And um, from there, I I worked for a while as a teacher of kids with behavioral disorders. I worked Mm -hmm. as a behavior specialist. And um, now for many years, I've been a professor at Texas State University in San Marcos, Texas, Mm-hmm. And I coordinate our graduate programs in behavioral disorders and positive behavior supports. Wow. So you've got a long career and a long history working with teachers and children, which is, um, you know, two very important pieces of the puzzle. So I'm glad that you're able to, to be with us today and chat about that. Now, can you start by telling us a little about the educational placements for students with emotional and behavior challenges? For example, where are these students typically 
educated and placed. Sure. Um, more than any other population, kids with challenging behaviors are at, I should say, maybe greater risk for being segregated from the general population. Mm-hmm. The um, greater the challenging behaviors, the more likely they are to be educated separately in a self-contained special education classroom or even in a separate facility, in a separate campus, Mm -hmm. in a residential placement. Um, The population I'm working with now are kids in in incarceration, juvenile correctional facilities. Mm -hmm. So the... um, if kids have a diagnosed disability, they're more likely to be placed in a separate special education type of classroom. Yeah. If they have challenging behavior and don't have a special ed diagnosis, they're more likely to enter in the disciplinary system and be segregated in that way, placed in a separate school for kids with discipline problems, for example. Mm-hmm. We also see differences as children get older. Of course, preschool children are fully included. We typically don't um, differentially diagnose kids in preschool, so they're all together. Mm -hmm. And then when they get into elementary, generally kids are still more in um, mainstream settings and and general ed environments. Right. when they get into secondary school, it gets a lot harder because the the um, the supports typically are not quite as comprehensive for secondary mm-hmm. kids with behavioral challenges, and um, so so they're more likely then to start, quite frankly, getting served through the disciplinary system. Okay. So we we see age differences as well. Oh, interesting. And, of course, then there's the, uh, just in terms of the general classroom, when a child is, uh, you know, exhibiting challenging behavior, then they're removed from that classroom. So they're just not excluded from the entire program of the school, but from classrooms as well. And you see many children are often either in the hallway or sent down to the principal's office, or and just that okay. little bit of exclusion there is, is significant. So that's right. Definitely uh placement is an issue. So then what are the characteristics of students then with emotional and behavioral disorders that affect these placement decisions and inclusion in particular? Well, I think these children are among the um I guess most complex of all the kids that we serve in school. Their needs Mm -hmm. are very complex. They typically come to us with um, skill deficits in many areas. They have social skill deficits that sometimes affect their ability to get along with others and and, um, have interpersonal um, interactions that... that, lead to friendships and and, um, good relationships with peers and adults. They just haven't learned some of the important skills that are needed for those kinds of interactions. They have self-control deficits, so they are often very impulsive, and that impulsivity leads to 
behavioral problems and makes it harder for teachers to teach them in in a group. Mm-hmm. Um, they sometimes have pretty, and of course all these these um, needs are interrelated, they sometimes have pretty significant acting out behaviors, and that's in part related to their impulsivity They may, and their, their social skills deficits. They may not have learned good self-control when they're frustrated, for example, or when they're right. upset about something, you know, and so they tend to act that out. Mm-hmm. They, um, some of the kids that we work with that have high levels of challenging behavior are very non-compliant, and um, that particular characteristic poses significant problems for general ed teachers. Oh yeah, yeah. They can be um, pretty um, inappropriate in their behavior, saying things that are time and place inappropriate or. Um, shocking sometimes to mm-hmm. teachers yeah. and peers, and uh, so they they often don't recognize the the more subtle rules about what's appropriate to say, when, what's appropriate to talk about, what's appropriate to do in certain situations. Now, th- those are the more externalizing or acting out characteristics. These kids also have significant internalizing kinds of of, um, conditions like Mm -hmm. anxiety or um, depression, and both of those are often masked and not recognized because of the acting out behavior. Exactly, yeah. So we we know that we have a, a pretty significant population of kiddos out there that have undiagnosed and untreated internalizing disorders, especially depression or, as I said, anxiety um, disorders. Now, the that whole behavioral package is um, interesting enough, but these kids also come to us with significant academic needs. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. And, and the academic... Um, skill deficits and the academic learning needs are off, often then lead to behavior problems. So they're, they're um, presented with a, a task that they don't understand or that requires prerequisite skills that they don't have mm-hmm. because they don't have the skills to express, I need help or I, need, um, I don't understand this or what should I do, they mm-hmm. act out. Right. So... It's all interconnected, and unfortunately, we often don't see the academic. Uh, we often don't recognize really the level of academic needs that these kids have. Um, another area that's related is language. These children often have, again, undiagnosed language disorders that then are related to behavior and academic learning and so forth. So it's really complex, and they have a um, a lot of different skill needs, and they have they have a lot of um, of strengths that may not be a good match for the mm-hmm. you know academic learning environment of general yeah. environments. Yeah. And I just want to quickly add too, in terms of the academic. Skill set. Sometimes you have kids that are actually 
very academic oriented and very bright and very right. very um intellectual and the school system can't meet those needs as well and there is some acting out i'm thinking of course of some family members of mine who were so yeah. right but their needs were not getting met in school and and they just acted out in so many different ways so yeah anyway i just i wanted to add that as yeah. well so and then even without that, if you have, have kids who have been, you know, maybe put into a segregated setting for a while or they're sent to the principal's office all the time or they're, con- they're constantly missing out on traditional yeah. classroom experience, and then they start to have delays, and then that makes them feel stupid. And so then they start to be less interested right. in what's going on, and they act up to get out of things that they feel is hard, and it's just a cycle that feeds on itself. You know, you have to really think about your first aim being finding a way to keep that kid in the classroom because that's the only way they're going to learn. Right. If your behavioral that's plan is all set on removing the child from the classroom, the problems can only get worse. You know, there's no way that's going to improve right. things in the long run. Um, unless, I mean, if you have a kid who's basically good and is chagrined at being stuck out of the, the classroom, I mean, that's going to do some good. But when you have kids with who have trouble, legitimate trouble controlling their behavior, they're never going to be able to stop uh, doing that, and then they're going to be further and further and further from a place of comfort and participation in the classroom. Mm-hmm. Frustrating situation for them, most yeah. especially, and for their families mm-hmm. and their teachers as well. Um, yeah. What does research tell us about inclusion for students with emotional and behavioral disorders? <laughs> Not much. <laughs> we, um, I was afraid you were going to say that. Come on. <laughs> All those parents going in there to say, include my child. We need, we need facts and figures because they look at us like we have three heads. Well, this is an area where practice has um, exceeded our, our research base. Um, there are a few studies, but they're, they're um, not wonderful studies. And there, mm-hmm. there's, so much, there's a lot more we don't know. For example, we don't know are there certain characteristics um, kids with, of, of kids with behavioral challenges that um, you know, certain characteristics benefit more from, from inclusive placements? Are the, what kind of inclusive placements? What are the supports that are needed? What form of supports? What intensity of supports? What, um, what, what, what about are, are there differences in support needs for elementary kids versus secondary um, students? Mm-hmm. So there's just what, what are the characteristics of effective inclusive environments? Now, we mm-hmm. are learning something about that from this whole wonderful technology of positive behavior supports. Yeah. We've We've taken the the idea of positive behavior supports that that um, those principles, and we're applying them system wide or school wide, and we're seeing the effects on challenging behavior school wide. We're seeing very positive effects on challenging behavior in terms of behavior redu- reductions in challenging behavior improvements in in appropriate rule-following behavior, improvements in academic outcomes. Mm-hmm. So we are starting to get a, a fairly substantial research base on the, the design, the benefits of designing cl- 
clear, predictable, consistent school-wide environments. That's pretty exciting. Yeah. So in general, you, we go ahead. Uh-huh. I was thinking, can you, can you uh, describe for our, our listeners a little bit of what, about what those positive behavior supports look like? What, what is that? How do you handle behavior in a classroom using a, a positive behavioral support approach? Can you give us a couple well, of examples? Absolutely. The the goals of positive behavior support are to create environments that are clear and predictable and consistent and that mm-hmm. give more attention to the behaviors we want to see, the appropriate rule-following behaviors. So mm-hmm. a teacher who's practicing positive behavior supports in his or her classroom would first establish very clear rules, about three to five. Then mm-hmm. the teacher would explain, would define what those rules look like in all activities during the day, what it looks like during, they look like during transitions, during instructional lessons, during group activities, during independent work. So if one of the rules is be responsible, the teacher would actively teach kids what does it mean to be responsible during group, during transition. An important step that often gets left out. (laughs) So we actively, and we spend a lot of time teaching kids what we want them to do, very specifically, very explicitly. Uh Then we also put into place ways to acknowledge kids who are doing the right thing, who are following the rules Mm -hmm. and exhibiting the kind of behaviors that they need to do to be successful in school. Mm -hmm. So we might have... um, positive reinforcement systems, using tickets where we um, give tickets or praise for kids who are doing the right thing, and those tickets can be exchanged for privileges or um, Mm -hmm. special activities, for example. So we also – now, positive behavior supports doesn't mean that we don't have any consequences for misbehavior. It means Mm -hmm. that – we have consistent consequences. Kids right. know what those consequences are, and they mm-hmm. and we use consequences that keep kids in the classroom rather than right. send them out. So yeah. it's a it's a package of clear expectations. We teach and remind about those expectations. We acknowledge children for following those expectations, and we have consequences for rule violations or misbehavior. Those consequences mm-hmm. are not developed on the fly. They're planned. They're um, meaningful. And they are applied consistently. Yeah. Right. So important to plan that out. Yeah. That's right. And it's with so much that we talk about with inclusion, that's good for all students, not just students with behavior problems. Everybody's going to benefit yeah. from that. Um, Everybody benefits. And, that's right. Yes. And, and uh, we have we have it. research that shows that, by the way, that well, it's not good. just the kids with the greatest needs that benefit. Yeah, the whole school yeah. benefits definitely, and teachers benefit right. too. By the way, teachers, <laughs> right? We see positive effects <laughs> on teachers' behavior: better attendance, better um, um, happy, higher levels of of sat- job satisfaction. They don't huh. yeah. have to change jobs as you know go to a different school. So absolutely, there yeah. are benefits all around. That that right. seems so obvious, and yet it's sometimes a hard sell with teachers, you know, uh, that 
if you do this, even though it's different from what you're used to doing, it will make things easier. <laughs> yes. But yes. Um, it's, uh, you know, I wish more schools were training for it or, you know, I think that, that, that people in learning to be teachers now are getting a little taste of it, but it doesn't seem to really be a overreaching policy in too many places yet, um, even though... No, but... It's it's expanding. We're um, that's great. Yeah, we're we're sort of um, it's it's a real strong grassroots movement. A real strong. There are actually some strong policy movements as well. But mm-hmm. yeah, you're right. It, there's a lot of, of um, teachers and administrators and that haven't yet learned these technologies. So we have our work yeah. cut out for it. Yeah, well, there's such resistance to change, and there's also such a feeling that anything other than traditional discipline is coddling the kids and not do. But it's, you know, it's the, the traditional system is is so bad for everybody. You know, it raises yes. the teachers' level of anger. It disrupts the class for all the kids, and the kid who needs the most help is getting swept away. So that's right. Um, that's it's, right. It's so frustrating and so difficult um, that this is not embraced more. And certainly for those of us who are parents of kids who are challenged, I mean, we were, you were talking about different settings. Uh, you know, I always kept my son in a self-contained class because at least he was safe there and there were people there who knew how to manage his behavior, whereas in the inclusion exactly. class, it was obviously that he would just be constantly, you know, I was mentioning on another show that in one class he was in, it was, it was still a, even a self-contained, but it was a higher level one. They had him in a, like a, a desk in the back with bookcases around him, so he wouldn't bother anybody. Yep. Like, you know, <laughs> if yeah. that's the best you can do, we'll just go to this, this self-contained class, never mind. So, yeah, but um, there are at least teachers trained to and who, who have chosen to work with kids who exactly. you know, need more. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. But there's always a trade-off then. You have a trade-off on academics when you do that. Yes. So, yes. Um, you know, this is great that you're getting the word out about this this positive behavioral support. And, man, can we just make it happen now? <laughs> yeah, well, everybody, start yeah, doing this. We are in, in many, many places, and um, often it starts with, you know, one person hearing about it, and then they go yeah. to their administrator, and then they find some training, and... And it goes, and then other administrators see positive effects in the, the that are happening in this other school, or other teachers see how um, how much better managed a, a teacher yeah. classroom down the hall is, and and then word gets out. So it, yeah, it is happening. That's great. Yeah, it's never fast enough, huh? <laughs> Can you yeah, tell us where, yeah. um, you know, educators and parents both who would like to have more resources about this, where can, can they find that? Are there some websites or books you would recommend? Absolutely. Well, um, first website I would recommend is the website of the National Technical Assistance Center on Positive Behavior yes. Support. It's mm-hmm. Uh huh. Very comprehensive, okay. lots of examples there. Um, I would recommend my textbook for classroom teachers. Um, it's Positive Behavior Supports in the Classroom, 2012, second edition, and we're currently working on the third edition. That's um, 
really a, a very practical, hands-on um, guide for establishing positive behavior supports in classroom settings. But it's also okay if if then that does doesn't solve or prevent all the problems. Then what do you do? So once mm-hmm. the, the first level of prevention maybe doesn't work, then then what do we do? Um, so those are our two resources. There are there's a very large and exciting conference that's held each March or April each spring um, that is uh, sponsored by the Association for Positive Behavior Supports, and that website is www.apbs.org. Wonderful. Okay, and that was our school resources. Yes. Yeah, Nicole will have those on the site. Unfortunately, mm-hmm. we have to wrap up for today. This is a, a, t- a great topic, though, and one that we will be talking about more. Um, thank you so much for being our guest today, and I would like to thank our listeners for tuning to our program this morning. Uh, next week we'll be a celebrating Thanksgiving and will not be airing a show. Please join us in two weeks' time when we will talk with Colleen Toma about IEPs. Oh, that favorite topic of all of ours, IEPs. <laughs> I don't have to do them anymore. I do a little dance. No, you're every done. Time the IEP time passes. Yay. In the meantime, you can follow us on Facebook and Twitter, where Nicole tweets under the name inclusive underscore class, and I am at mamatude, M-A-M-A-T-U-D-E. And finally, you can download our past podcasts for free on Stitcher and iTunes. Goodbye, everybody, and have a great week.